This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl Jessie Mae Peluso. Thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you coming back to another week of the Sharp Tongue Podcast. <laughs> this is going to be another Grief Survival Guide episode. I believe we are on part, thir- no, part 14. We had part 13 last week. I decided to do another one because it's been a couple weeks since we've added to our grief survival guide. So this is that. But before that, if you guys are in upstate New York, come see me live. My wide open tour continues. We are going to be in Poughkeepsie, New York, October 29th and 30th at Laugh It Up. And I've never been there, so I'm excited. I've been to Poughkeepsie. I just have never performed at this club before. So if you know anybody in the tri-state area, tell them to come out. It's going to be a fun time with me, Marty Caproni, a couple other locals are going to show up and sling some jokes for you guys. It's going to be a great time. Poughkeepsie, New York, October 29th and 30th. (laughs) Then I have to tell you, I'm kind of excited. I got invited to be a VIP guest for Tony Robbins. (laughs) Yes. Humble brag, I'm a VIP guest of Tony Robbins. That's one of the reasons we had to move our girl date. We, Carly and I had a date November 13th for our girl tour to continue, and I had to move it because Tony Robbins called, and, you know, I call myself Boney Robbins, so it's a sign from the universe that I am meant to embark on this journey with Mr. Robbins. Also, it's November 13th is the year anniversary of my mother's death, so it's kind of... A little serendipitous that it's happening on that weekend and I feel like it's just a sign for me to do a little, you know, step out of my comfort zone and then step on to some hot coals. (laughs) I'm excited about it, but Carly and I will be continuing our girl tour. Come see us live together in Austin, Texas, the 18th, 19th and 20th of November. We will be having a live podcast recording on the 20th of November. That's at the Creek in the Cave in Austin, Texas that weekend, 18th, 19th, and 20th of November. And then the first weekend of December, I'm going to be in Plano, Texas at the House of Comedy, the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And then I will be at the Mall of America at the uh, House of Comedy there, December 16th, 17th, and 18th. And the wide open tour will commence, well, it will end it commenced in, in July or August and it's ending in Syracuse on New Year's Eve. 
oh my God, my hometown, we're wrapping it up full circle. We're going to be at the Funny Bone in Carousel Mall, a.k.a. Destiny USA, which it will not always be known as because I grew up and it was Carousel Mall because there's a big ass carousel. Okay. I don't know if Foot Locker is many people's destiny, but a carousel, absolutely. That's where children's dreams go to turn green because of the gangrene left over from Green Lakes. (laughs) Sorry. I have taken an edible. It has kicked in. Don't judge me. That's rude of you to do that. Please don't judge me. This will be the last date, December 31st, New Year's Eve. I was going to say the Mall of America. Carousel Mall, Syracuse, New York, wrapping up the wide open tour there. Come hang out with us. It's going to be a blast. A lot of opportunities to still see me live on the road through the end of the year before I come off the road for a little bit. So check that out. And as always, if you want to watch the podcast, go to YouTube, subscribe to my page, youtube.com forward slash Jesse May Peluso. Tell your friends, click like and share. You can watch the videos there. Leave a comment below when you watch the videos so we know how you're liking it and what other guests you'd like to see, any other subject matter, anything you guys would like to contribute as a option for the podcast. I'm open for I really am open to hearing what you guys want to listen to, listen to me talk about and with whom. And speaking about who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about and with whom, this is a grief survival guide episode, episode 14. This is riding the grief train with one of my dear friends. She has been through so much, just like I have. Her and I kind of bonded through our subsequent losses with our fathers. And she's an amazing comedian. She's so funny. And I hope you guys enjoy this Grief Survival Guide episode with the one and only Nicole Amy Schreiber. That's right. She's got like four names. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. I just had a genius idea to start doing first five for Sharp Tongue because my sister just sent me an audio message. Let's see. Right here. Hey, do you remember how mom and dad met? Was like at a bar or something? I'm just trying to think of how they met. Anyways. Ciao. Ciao. Ain't she so cute? We sound exactly alike. And here's my response. Mom and dad met in a bar in Maddiedale. And dad gave her a line from behind. It sounded terrible. Um, But it's in, it's one of the podcast episodes where mom talked about it because I asked her that, but she said, dad said some stupid line, like if the front looks half as good as the back, I'm in luck. And she slept with him that night. What? Posthumous facts with your parents. They're dead, but new facts aren't. (laughs) Your parents might be dead, but here's some new shit you never knew. Um, 
Oh, I see. I see Deb's in the chat. So now Debbie and I have gotten smart where we're, uh, figuring out how to do things to be more efficient. And so normally Debbie will watch the podcast after and, you know, cut clips from that, but now she's just going to be in the episodes with us. So from time to time, I may force her to pop in and, uh, interject and she might, you know, have to call me out on some bullshit. So Deb is in the mix with us and we're just currently waiting for our guest this week who every time I see her, she comments on this adorable size of my head. She says I have the most perfect shaped head ever. And I think that's like a compliment that's, um, that could fall in the line of what a serial killer might say, but she's, she doesn't have serial killer vibes, but she definitely has a face of a woman who could murder. And I mean that, I mean that with all due respect, truthfully, you know, uh, I talk about it in my stand up about the murder percentage in the world and how that's the real discrepancy with equality between men and women, because men are just better at it. And we got to get better at it. Ladies is really what's got to happen. We got to make these motherfuckers scared. That should be our goal. Um, our goal should be to have them be afraid of us. You know, we've been raised to apologize to men and we wonder why the murder rate is 90% homicide due to male murder. And we really have to, we have to flip those numbers. That's my goal. That's going to, that would be my campaign. If I were a president, I would really, you know, to figure out how to achieve equality. I would start a campaign, um, you know, I wouldn't want the women to storm the Capitol. I would want women to storm their boot camp classes to create the muscles they'll, they'll need to actually murder men. And that's how we're going to get, you know, solve this whole equality issue. Um, I see our guest is here. So I am going to say goodbye. And you guys who are going to listen to the podcast will see the rest of the podcast. Hey. I mean, Jessamay fucking Peluso. You are so studious and adorable. I can't even fucking handle it. Uh, uh, I'm, am I studious? You're studious. And you know what you have? I was saying before you got in that you have the face of somebody who could literally be like a serial killer, but as a compliment, because you look like you have some secrets. And then I got onto this whole diatribe, how I've been talking about women needing to straighten out that murder statistic. But coming from someone who has a perfectly shaped head have you ever talked about that on your podcast do your do your fans know how perfectly shaped your circular head is like i've never in my life i've had observation um and i i observe heads that's what i do i've never seen anyone with a head quite like yours by the way i actually just mentioned it um i mentioned i didn't mention how you embrace my head every time i see you like this mm -hmm. you go like this I feel and like, you I feel kiss like me on my forehead uh -huh. Uh -huh. i feel like i'm reading me? you i read you that's how i take in your energy through your globe you you put your mouth you, your whole face goes here and you you're you're sniffing here and then you give mm -hmm. me the lightest peck on my forehead and i feel mm -hmm. i feel coddled i literally I, it's it's very maternal of you I want to cuddle. That's the closest I'm going to get to being a mom is coddling, your, <laughs> it's coddling you me. your perfectly shaped head. That's hilarious. Um, I, 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 can I talk about a revelation you discussed in your dating life when I saw you at, um, 
where did I just see you? The Laugh Factory. Laugh Factory, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? The gay one? <laughs> is it my gay dating? Yeah, factory? you're gating. So you're gating now. Am I gating? I was gating. I was gating. I'm done gating. So was it your first gate? That was my first gate. It wasn't wow. my first time hooking up with a girl, but it was my first gate. Wow. And how, like... I I think women are beautiful. I appreciate them. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I never say never, but I'm so ferociously hetero that I, I really, in my mind, even if there were just two women left on the planet, mm -hmm. I honestly think that I would just be platonic with, with her. No, How you would pick you the one who's more masculine. If there were just two people left, you would Maybe. be like, who has, who has more masculine energy? And then you just gravitate towards that person because you couldn't, you couldn't just not have physical, like you're, if you're a sexual physical being, you're a sexual physical being. And if you're left with two options, you're going to pick one. I think you, you might be right. Maybe the woman with the longer clit, but I don't know. Because yeah. I, I am, I function asexually very well. Me, I, and I, by the way, you me too. Oh yeah, totally. Have you ever had a year of abstinence? A thousand. I've had two years. Oh, wow. Isn't it great? It's not. It's so funny. It's it's not like it's one of it never registered. It was just mm. what I was doing. And by the way, that two years of abstinence came after I kissed a girl in a bar. I made out with this girl at a bar in San Diego. Um, And then after that, I drove home shooketh. Shook, shook, shook. Did not know what to do. Cried the whole way home. Not, <laughs> not because I was like, oh, no. I was like freaking out about being gay. I was just like, oh, my God. This is why I've never had a successful relationship with a man. Th by the way, that came after a year and a half of me having like a like a very like fun fuck buddy relationship with Bill Dawes. And oh, like, wow. Yeah. And so and okay. I'll name drop. I don't give a fuck. I love it. I love Na it about Names you. shall be named. Um, yes. So and Bill didn't want anything with me. And there was like a point, I, was, I remember there's this one time he was over at my place and we had just, it was post coitus and I hopped onto uh, a dating app and he looked over and he goes, I'm sorry, are you on a dating app right now? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I'm right here. I was like, I'm sorry, you just want to fuck. He's like, don't tell me what I want. I was like, all right, well, I put the phone down. I was like, what do you want? Do you want a relationship? And he was like, uh, the, 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 and I was like, exactly. And I got back on the app and I just kept going. I was like, I'm looking for a relationship. If you can't give me that, cool. But let's not pretend like this is more than fucking. Um, and that was that was kind of like the twist in it where uh, I like had be kind of to develop this like disappointment in like men where it's like, you can't even be an honest fuck buddy. You can't just fuck me and like be like, this is all it is. You have to have this whole guise of like, maybe mystery and like we are such suckers for mystery because we're like in that in that in that space between truth and lies is this mystery that like men love to live in not in all men but i think a lot of people do a lot, a lot of, of people do but I, I i do think it's like i think i think that space as far as like men go in my experience has been a very white male space um Black men, any black guy I've ever dated is like, I like you, period. This is what it is. I want more. I want less. That's it. That's all. We're done. Cool. Goodbye. It's like so straightforward. Like there's no bullshit with black guys. That's interesting. Um, I wonder if it has to do with like just the disparity that exists between the cultures because men, white men traditionally have 
more options Mm -hmm. in a lot of different scenarios. And because Mm -hmm. they have more options, they like to live in that limbo where they're Mm -hmm. playing the, the chasing game, the cat and Mm -hmm. mouse thing. It, it it sort of, I don't know why in my mind I'm picturing like a skull Mason Mason group. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Any white men, as far as the icon of their groups, it's, it's a death symbol. White guys are just like death. It's not that bad. Black guys are like, um, historically speaking, you have been murdering us. Let's stay away from, um, that sort of scary imagery. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, that's just been my experience. I don't know if there's fact to it. Um, but so the, all of that th- thing happened with Bill. Then I go to San Diego. I do this show, Josh Nelson's show. Have you done that yep. one? Oh, yeah. So and he's fun. got like 50 of them. I just was on a boat last week with that guy. Oh, amazing. And he always brings like the most basic of the basics. And you just like, you're just up there and you're just like, whatever you say, they're like, fuck yeah. And I got off stage and there was this girl there and she was like, oh my God, I love you. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. I love you. Like, I love you too. Like, fucking fuck yeah, that was so much such a fun show. And she's like, no, I, I love you. And I was like, I mean, I'm not gay. And she's like, I don't care. And I was like, okay. Um, and then we just kind of hung out at the bar and we were like talking and talking and talking. And then eventually she was just like, I can't let you leave until I kiss you. And I was like, all right. And... Uh, and did it happened? feel like how when you you know when you kiss a guy for the first time was it the same type of feeling yes, or you were I like never, but more in that I'd never felt such a connection in my life like it was whoa. like magnetic whoa and that's when I drove home crying because I was like it's all it's all been a lie I've been fucking sitting <laughs> on all these dicks all my life and then there's just been this I mean it's just been a pussy that I've been looking for um and then I didn't hook up with anybody for like two years. Because you were conflicted and confused? Yeah, because I was, like, so confused. I remember I called Scout Durwood. And oh, I was Scout. like, Scout. Yeah, she's, she's a good open heart. Yeah, she's a good open heart. So I called her and I was like, I think I'm gay. And she's like, switch your preferences on the dating apps. Try dating a woman. I switched my preferences. Not Did not match with one woman. Um, <laughs> and then Scout was like, Scout was like, they can smell the straight on you. <laughs> what does straight smell like? Like sliced meat? I... <laughs> Straight Can tuna? What does like... it smell like? What does straight smell? Straight. I just imagine it smelling like baby powder. Yeah, b- baby powder and and like packaged turkey meat. Yeah. I think straight smell is is just Mm-mm-mm. not you know straight to packaged turkey meat. Um. Uh. With all the nitrates, so like yes. not like not good quality turkey meat. So no, nitrate Oscar heavy Meyer. turkey meat. Um, and then, um, a, uh, a scent from, um, Victoria's Secret. Yeah. Guys in the chat, in the comments below, tell us what you think straight smells like. I'd really love to hear <laughs> your input. And so two years you were absent. I think the longest I went was like, oh, just about a year and a half. Was there and any impetus for it or just that's. Yeah. There was a similar impetus where it was just me falling into this cyclical pattern of you know, attracting a similar type that wasn't yielding any sort of healthy outcome. And I decided to try and grow my hymen back. And it doesn't matter how much you you soil that, you put some (laughs) fertilizer in that soil, it ain't coming back. The hymen tree is a a one-time tree. It is a one-time tree. And, you know, for me, it was a nice break. It, By the it, way, it when nice. you had sex for the first time after the break, were you just like, my pussy's gonna be so tight? It, I did, and it was, and it, 
and I was and it like, lasted about a week. It lasted like five seconds, and I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Now we're back to just being the at the Lu- cavern Lucy that Lucy. it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. But no, like all joking aside, I do have, a, and this isn't me trying to make Brad Pitt my husband, but I do have a relatively taut kitty box. So do you? I do. I do. It's it's a it's a gift and a curse. <laughs> How do you know? Because it's just, it, are, is it, are you constantly like, oh, it's too big. I'm constantly clenching. I just, I, I clench her all day long. I turn her into a vice, like a, just a nice vice grip. It's something How's I work on. pelvic floor? Do you, can you do jumping jacks? Oh yeah. The pelvic floor is solid. It's, it's a, it's a concrete floor. It's, um, Uh-oh. I had it done on HGTV. It's, you know, you could do everything. You could do, uh, box jumps. You could have like a step team perform on it and it won't fall through. You know, I'm that video so of the, eight, the Indian jealous. wedding where everyone fell yes. through. That's not my yeah, pelvic yeah, yeah. floor. That's not your, that's my pelvic floor. Yeah. <laughs> my pelvic floor is lava. Okay. <laughs> like it is, it's its own spinoff of the floor is lava. It's a new game show. So you spend two years being abstinent and then how far away are we from this rebirth into having sex? Are we like, how, how, what was the two year ago, Mark, when you started having sex again? When was that? Like, was it within um, the past couple of years? Like, have you been? No, that was in 2017. Well in? 2017, oh, okay. 18. So this is relatively um, recent. Yeah, and I broke out of it because I did a comedy festival in New Orleans, and there was oh, another comic. Fungal. Fucking uh, summer camp for comics. This oh, comic golly. was like, we should hook up, and I was like, no. And he was like, come on, let's go make out. It'll be fun. I was like, all right, we'll go make out. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna make out with this dude. And then I like grazed over his pants and it was just a fucking python. Yeah, nice Olympic. And baton. I was like, oh, well, that's going to have to go in all the holes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then, I'm, then I just fucking, bon appetit, we destroyed an Airbnb in New Orleans. I fucking destroyed. Um, <laughs> you, you definitely got charged to double room cleaning fee for that thing. oh no question about it. he's like i don't know if i ever got charged he's like because it was some other guys the, he got the place with another comic and the comic put it on he's like but the comic never said anything to me i was like yeah probably because your fucking friend who you shared the airbnb with was just listening the whole night and i was just fucking jerking it and he was probably like i well i did get off so yeah well, uh, i made out i made out as well yeah yeah um but yeah so then that happened and then after that i was just like big dicks i just love them so much i miss them um i'll only have sex if it's a big dick you know i don't i don't fault you for that i don't fault you for that i feel like you know as a woman it's important to get what you want society has beat us down a a little bit to make us believe that we are worth less than we desire Mm and in what we are really worth so i think Mm -hmm. going for the size is it's a per person scenario. I say size does matter. I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to fill your womb and your baby maker hole with whatever you want to fill it with. And it's interesting. You just said about, you know, we're taught to not, you know, want, we're not allowed to want the things we want. And then when we do, we're shamed for it because we're, we're called things like, oh, you're a size queen. Like that's supposed to make us feel bad. And then if, if a woman wants a man who has money, she's a gold digger. Like if we want these things, like who doesn't want a man with money? 
Right. And why is that so bad? So, so I should, I'm not a good person unless the other person that is in my relationship is struggling. Yeah. I need to, I need to be with the underdog. I have to be with the underdog. Right. So the, the idea that a woman wants to be with a man for money. Oh, you mean the system that men created where, where we had to stay at home and they went and made money and then we had to rely on them to exist in the world. And God forbid there's still a woman today. That's like, I still want the man to be the one with the money. Yeah. Why is that so bad? And I, like, I honestly think that system worked pretty good. Yeah. The system back in the day worked pretty fucking good. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't and, like and I'm that exhausted. system, great. If you do like that system, fine. Fine. By the way, the women who do subscribe to that system, good for you. Good I for just, you. I'm a mouthy broad. That's never going to work for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think I like the, the principles of the system. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked about mm-hmm. it a lot on stage, like, you know, just wearing a cute dress and, and, and baking some brownies sounds pretty great, but then I'm, I'm also ambitious. So I, I'm, I'm in the middle. And, yeah. you know, I think like that whole idea that women, it's such a good point. Like, so we're supposed to just go for the underdogs. That's all yeah. we're worthy of. And if yeah, we go yeah. for anybody who's at our level or above now we're gold diggers. Yeah. Yeah. We have, there's a cute, there's a cute slanderous name that goes with it. Yeah. There's always some like just a jab, like just, yeah, like, just a, a little Southern. Like, oh, are you a gold digger? Well, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Cool. Call me whatever the fuck you want. What, however yeah. you want to spin it, go for it. And it's really. And by just... the way, I want someone to gold dig me. Sure. Absolutely. I want to have enough successful. money that. Yes. I want to have enough money that I'm. I look over at the person that I'm with, and I'm like, "You are with me for the wrong reasons," and I'm here for it. Right. Here's some lunch money. Now go down yeah, on me and yeah, leave yeah, by leave. five. Here's lunch money. Eat my lunch meat and then bounce. Okay. <laughs> have fun with my lunchable and please leave me alone. <laughs> Going to see a lunchable. Uh, Wait, can we talk? So, have you gone down on a vagina? Okay, I sound like such a novice, but it's like one. Wow, just so you know, it's like outer space travel. Okay, (laughs) have you looked at your vagina recently? Like, really looked at it? I mean, I check her out like once a week just to make sure there's no critters, extra, you know. The I mean, but do you look into the barnacles? The 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 visceral the touchy barnacle on a pussy yeah yeah just a callousy you're welcome have you like looked at like fucking sat in front of a mirror spread your puss and like looked in there yes i have i'm out i know i'm out Before I went on my third date with this girl, I took a good hard look in the mirror at my own pussy for probably about like 10 minutes. And I was like trying to, I felt like it was just like, I was like trying to desensitize myself to the shock of it. Like, so that if I did go down on her, when I pulled her pants down, I wouldn't be like, ah! um, and I just sat there looking at my pussy. I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to look at this on another, be like, well that's that goes to my point of if there were two two of us left on earth i still i'm so ingrained as a heterosexual being that i really just think i would find a real sweet spot of abstinence and you know like a coexisting life but that would be it like i i would i would more probably sit on a stump that fit Mm. me well than you know, be in, involved 
physically with another woman. So I, that's why I was like so intrigued by what you were when you told me that the Laugh Factory. I'm like, oh my god, tell me more. That's so interesting yeah. and and also like I think it's great to live a full life and to take risks. You are definitely somebody who takes a lot of risks. And um, that being said, we do have to remind everybody this is a part of our grief survival guide mini series on Sharp Tongue Podcast where we're interviewing people who've been through some tumultuous and tragic experiences in their life. And it that brings me to this point because I know you've been through a lot and we both had fathers who suffered with neurodegenerative diseases. If My first question before we get into all that is having gone through that with your dad, do you think it made you more fuck it? In, in life like more totally. have it have a right like acquire more like fuck it attitude yeah I talk mean, about that a little bit it's one of those things where it's like how can you not watch on decay right in front of your eyes someone who you love more than anything and there's literally nothing you can do it's not like cancer where you're like all right we're gonna fight this you know we're gonna do this as much as we can we're gonna do this as much as we can we've got this option and this option like cancer is something where it's like there are different viable routes to go with things there are options there's options there's a fight to be had yes and, and hope and and hope there's a degree of hope um i mean it all depends on what kind of cancer but for the most part there's every kind of cancer if you have a complete outlier you're fucked but um, every kind of cancer has been seen before sort of thing, even yes. though every every case of cancer is different. There's never one that's the same, but they're all, generally speaking, you can do treatments. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, You're just fucked. any neurodegenerative disease. It's like you can take this and it'll minimize your symptoms to a degree. You can get this surgery. It'll stave off the symptoms for this period of time. But ultimately, you're going to die a fucking vegetable. And it's just a very hard thing to watch. And it's a very hard thing to watch someone. Like, I don't know what your dad was like, but my dad was like a fucking man's man. My dad was just a fucking man of truck loving, car fixing, teach your daughter to change a tire, know the difference between, you know, transmission and oil, like just a blue collar man. Yeah. And to watch that, be take to someone's manliness be taken away from them my dad wasn't any less of a man but he wasn't able to express himself in the ways that he had his entire life yeah and, and that's that so was, hard that to watch. was like that's so hard to watch and it's like for that reason i'm like fuck it all fuck it all that's exactly how i felt through the whole process is like you just because you're a sweet person you are a genuine person especially in this industry you know, you, you stand out as a, a beam of light. So that can, you know, going through what you went through, what I went through, that can rob, that experience can rob you and, and start to deplete that light. But in, and on the, on the, on the other sense of it, you can also come out with this fuck it all attitude, yeah. which combined with being a beam of light and a good person, it's really, it's almost a silver lining in all of it. Yeah. You know? Um, so bring me back to when you started noticing things going wrong with your dad, like for my experience, my listeners know it sort of came out of nowhere, but also had been in hindsight, we were like, Oh, this has been going on for decades. Oh, we just bad. didn't know yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad, 
so my dad's dad had Parkinson's. So mm. we were well versed with what Parkinson's looked like. And my dad was in his mid fifties probably. And we started to kind of like notice, um, there's in Parkinson's they, it's called the narrowing of your gait when you walk. So like most human beings, when they walk, you walk with your feet uh, a certain distance apart and your feet walk side by side. Sometimes you're, you know, pigeon toed or, or duck footed, but like either way, you've got some space in between your feet. With Parkinson's, your feet start to come closer together. That's why the tripping and falling is a, is a thing. So my dad started having a narrowing gait ever so slightly, and he stopped moving um, one of his arms when he walked. He would only swing one arm when he walked. And that is also, I can't remember what the name for it is, but that is also a symptom of Parkinson's. And my mom's a doctor. So my mom was like, not only has she like knows about it medically, but we all had seen my grandfather go through it. And my grandfather went through it late in life and mid fifties is, I mean, it's not Michael J. Fox young, but it's young. So it's there really were all young. those things happening. Um, and, and then was, I, think, so that was in his mid fifties when those symptoms started to come about when those symptoms started to come about. And it was like one of those things where we were all like, maybe it's Parkinson's Yeah, it's probably Parkinson's. And we were all just like, TikTok. let's just wait and find out if it's officially Parkinson's. And then I think he was officially diagnosed at like 57 or 58. Um, that was eight. He died uh, a year ago yesterday. Um, and uh, happy anniversary. He, he had been. Ha thank you so much. Um, it was 18 years that he since his diagnosis, pretty much. Oh, and what's crazy. Oh, this will give you the chill. Too. So October 18th, 2010, he had the um, the brain stem surgery that they do for Parkinson's patients, where they basically put a pacemaker onto your brain. They do wow. it while you're awake. They put you into it. They put you in this halo. They grid your head through like MRI technology. It's fascinating what they do. Anyhow, and then they install electrodes into your brain and it basically turns the clock back like seven years. And they say that that surgery, if done well, can give a patient 10 extra years, not good years, but 10 extra years. They estimate about seven more good years. That was October 18th, 2010, and he died October 18th, 2020. Oh, my God. Ten years just, literally to the day. You know, you, you think about doing things like that off of a conversation of you explaining and people who may or may not know that these diseases are incurable. Mm -hmm. You're literally you're literally buying time in mm -hmm. You know, there's even a moral dilemma with that for me of, you know, obviously it's a conversation that can be had with a family like, well, what are we going to do? What are our options? Because at that point, when you're facing something like that, of course you want to keep them alive. They want to stay alive. Most people want to stay alive for the most part. You know, that the, the will given up comes at the time where the time is right for that person and only they can know that. But for the mm -hmm. most part, people have fight in them and all of it is selfish. The person who wants to stay alive, the people who are surrounding them, it's mm -hmm. not a bad thing to have that sort of selfishness. But for me, there was always the conversation in the back of my head, like, are, because my father had become incapacitated. It's like, well, what, how much more can we do? Mm -hmm. What more, what more that we do is it, how, how is that even going to promise us something beyond yeah. You know, who or what are we keeping this person in this state for? Right. 
because we don't want them to die. No, we don't want anybody to die because we don't want them to suffer. They've already suffered. So it's like, how much more suffering is worth it or not worth it? Like, it's just, it really is. It's, there is absolutely no grace in any of it. There's no grace and there's, it's just the dignity that depletes from them. You know, their dignity is just Mm -hmm. stripped going Mm -hmm. through this, just as you know, like the, all the processes that shut down and then the ways to compensate for that, just, you know, having them to have to get washed and all of those things. Um, The first big, the first big hard one for me. And I feel like maybe it was for your dad too, is when we had to take his keys away when he couldn't drive anymore. And that, I feel like that's a hard one for all old people. It's like, you see old people who are bad drivers and you're like, somebody take their keys away. And then I remember the day we had to take my dad's keys away. And we were, I was like, oh, everyone who has someone old in their life, this is, you are taking away someone's autonomy. You are. And you're taking away, like your father, my dad was also, you know, blue collar and a man's man, although very klutzy. He would trip over everything. And Same I- thing my, dad. my dad always said he had two left feet. He said he was really good at running a, a mile in a circle. Um. <laughs> Our dad, I think the one thing that, you know, was the hardest was when we had to admit that he needed extra help and needed to go into a home. That was the, that, that for us was feeling like we failed. Like, you know, there's four daughters, he's got two ex-wives. There's so many people surrounding him, but because of the way we live this modern world and this modern life, it's hard to support the person and with your father, because, you know, this disease had been lingering for so long. What was, you know, taking his keys away, you know, that was one of the hardest parts for you. What was the first sort of milestone in his disease where it really started to change your outlook on life or really started to affect your daily routine because of what he needed or, you know, whatever the the revelation was. From the second my dad got Parkinson's, I was like, well, I will be coming home all the time. For 18 years, I went home to Michigan almost, I probably went home minimum of four to six times a year. Um, I was always home as much as I could be. Once it started getting really bad, I was home every other month. Um, I remember I would probably I would probably spend I really truly believe one of the reasons I am not farther in my career is because I was always stopping and starting. I was always going home to Michigan. And it's like, yeah, I was like doing comedy in Michigan too. Sure, blah, blah, blah. But um that's when I can definitely say it affected um any momentum I could have had um in this business. Um, it also really affected uh relationships that I, yeah. I have. Um what changed for you? Like what were the um what what effects? First, there was the fact that just no one's as good as my dad. Mm. Just my dad is like just he was just like as good as they came. Just like there really was no one and there will be no one like my dad. Like he mm-hmm. just he showed up for every single person. He was the guy who put his mask on for everyone else, put a mask on for everyone else before he would even think about putting it on for himself. And he lived that way to every person in his life and not just me. And I just, anyone I met, I'd be like, you're dog shit compared to my dad. Like you would never be the man that my dad is. 
and you're Never. just checking out at a grocery store. It's <laughs> like, I said paper or plastic. Like, I don't think you need to have an existential crisis, man. I'm like, you don't understand. My dad would, my dad would make a bag. Okay. He's like, just buy a bag, bitch. Your doctor's like, this is a gynecology appointment. Um, do you want me to call someone or? It really is like every, every man I met, I'd be like, you're just a shadow of a person. And was your dad, tell me, uh, walk me through like your relationship with your dad, like growing up, what were things you guys would do together? Like, did you have, first of all, you have siblings, correct? I have an older brother. Okay. I have an older brother who, um, like I was the tomboy. I was, my brother was an, he did athletics. He was not an (laughs) athlete. (laughs) Um, he showed up to team sports, but and he just he wasn't like the sporty kid like i was right. the sporty kid so my dad was always like whatever it was like he was like playing catch in the yard with me he was like doing sports with me like just like i was i was like my dad's buddy i was always his just like his partner in crime kind of thing like and i was always my dad was a quiet guy and i've always just been a very loud personality and my dad always just loved how weird i was just oh. thought it was just just great just like what a kid kind of thing um (laughs) just really truly was like just thought i was just the neatest um was he able to see you do stand-up never saw me do stand-up not once fuck oh god but my but i'd come into i'd come into his nursing home and i would just fucking crush (laughs) and i was just like i would make everybody at the nurse nursing home laugh and then my dad would be like she's a comedian oh um he always my dad was always proud of the way i walked through life and i it's funny my dad died my dad and his brother were kind of like uh whatever they weren't close i don't want to go into it but it was a it's a long story um so i didn't really have much contact with my uncle but when my dad died i remember i got covid and my dad died in october i got covid in december so i was fucking stuck at home alone depressed just reeling from my dad dying and then like just being alone for fucking two weeks. Um, and I reached out to my uncle at one point and I was like, Hey, do you have any stories about my dad? And he's like, your dad was a weird guy. And I was like, was he? He's like, yeah. He's like, your dad would just like do his own thing. He was always just kind of doing his own thing. And then he told me this story about my dad and his brother were four years apart. And my uncle had started driving and he dropped, my brother off at hebrew school so my dad grew up in la he grew up at he went to hollywood high but he grew up at sunset um and gower pretty much and the hebrew school that he went to um was on hollywood boulevard so my grandparents dropped my dad off at hebrew school that morning and then they were like they told his brother they're like go pick up harold from hebrew school and so kenny was like all right i'm gonna go get him early i'm gonna go pick him up early so he goes to hebrew school he goes inside, he goes to the desk. He's like, hi, I'm here to pick up Harold Schreiber. And they're like, who? He's like, Harold Schreiber. He goes to Hebrew school. And my parents dropped him off here this morning. They're like, we do not have a student here by that name. Sorry. My dad's brother was like, okay. And he like goes and sits in the car and he's like waiting for my dad. My dad, the bell rings and my dad comes out, gets in the car. And his brother's like, I just went inside. They don't even know who you are. What? My dad's like, oh yeah, I've never been to Hebrew school. I just 
walk in the front door and walk out the back door and then just walk around Hollywood Boulevard by myself. <laughs> How old was he? 12. Oh, that's some beautiful stuff right like there. Like he just, just he re just rebellious. Rebellious, but not to make a point. He wasn't no. even being rebellious. Like he was just like this. I was just doing my own thing. And then they found out my dad had a secret job doing construction. So at, at 12? At like 14. So my dad would come home from school in high school. He would come home from school and then he would just like disappear into the neighborhood. And this was like at a time when like you, the whole idea like be home by sunset kind of thing, like which no longer exists. It's like parents are like, wherever you are, you need to be home earlier than then you're going to get murdered. <laughs> um, so my mom, my grandma was like, be home by sunset, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then one day, this guy shows up at the door and he's like, Hey, is Harold here? And like an older man, construction worker. And he's like, is Harold here? And my grandma was like, no, who the fuck are you? He's like, oh, I work with Harold. She's like, you work with Harold? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, the construction site on blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what? Come to find out one day, my dad was like walking in the neighborhood and saw a construction site. And I didn't know this. I haven't, I have, I love watching construction. I think it's the most fascinating thing in the world to watch a, a, a whole building go up. Like, it's just so cool to me. Do you sit there for six months and watch the whole process? I mean, would I get a job working <laughs> at a construction site to get laid I at could, this point? Absolutely. Oh, oh, what a good point. Fucking Holy oh, hell. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just sabotaging the construction site so it never gets built. I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to be here forever. Um, so my dad walked by and was like, at one point they were like, hey, kid, you want a job? And he's like, yeah. And they gave my dad a job working at this construction site and he was really good at it. And they like gave him like a real job. So my dad had this job. And one day, I don't know what it was, but he didn't show up for work and they were worried. So they went by my dad's house and they were like, is he here? And they're like, all right, well, just let Harold know when he gets home. Uh, we could we could really use him. And they, the construction guy was like, your son's like a huge asset. He's really good at what he does. Um, and my dad just like had a, had a whole side hustle going, never let anybody know about it. And that was just like kind of like my dad. He was just like did his own thing, didn't really care what people thought. Not even in the way of like where I would be like, I'm weird. Like I'm not doing what other people do, like making a statement about it. Like my dad wasn't even making a statement. He was just like, I just don't do what people do. I he just was just do authentically my thing. individualistic. Yes, extremely unabashedly just who he was, like, and and it was in that moment that I realized that that's why my dad always liked me. My and dad you know always what? liked me for that. You, you are like that. Yeah. Which is, you know, whether that's a learned trait or something that is just this cosmic exchange of DNA, who cares? We don't need to know either way. You know, yeah. it, if my father was a very affable man, he loved making people laugh. His best friend was a stand-up comedian. Um, he used to go on the road with him. My father would go just as a friend and support because he loved stand-up comedy. And uh, my dad also would talk to every single human. You kind of touched on this with your father. My dad treated everyone equally with respect. He, mm -hmm. If I could describe him to somebody, he was basically, I, I think he lived a life wanting to make other people feel seen and better, mm -hmm. genuinely without any desire of getting anything from them. He just enjoyed joy. 
-hmm. and um he really loved being the brunt of the joke he loved busting balls like you know we both have acquired these traits from our father you know i was the same i was the tomboy of the four girls i was his favorite um you know all do these your, do your siblings know that you were his favorite oh um, it was the bet it was the jo running joke are you kidding me it, it, like it was the thing and even you know down towards the end where you know he had to get bathed they called me they called me to come and bathe him because mm -hmm. it was the relationship was so different for them not that they didn't want to or you know felt like I should have to. Your it just, siblings were like, this will be good for material. You let Jessica yeah, do it. Yeah. You just, you, you definitely want to look right into your dad's dick hole. You know, yeah, you do. Yeah, uh -huh. Just get right in that urethra. Get right in that. Get under the from under, get, get, get near the nuts. You know, you want to. The from under. The fr oh, oh. <laughs> what was for you? Um, there's so many questions that I want to ask you about going through the grief, because the one thing that's very, um, unique about having someone who has a neurodegenerative disease, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's, Lewy body, any sort of dementia where the train is unstoppable. The grief process is much different. It's much specific and unique in that you're grieving them while they're alive. Yeah. Uh -huh. And people who have the, the grief train takes off. It takes off way before. Yeah. And so you're, you're simultaneously loving a person, helping a person, grieving with them and then grieving for them all at the same time and on top of that living a life that's mm -hmm. separate and parallel to them mm -hmm. so walk me through what that was like for you how did you manage it how did it break you down and what did you do to cope through that cope um I, um, I really like, I don't think I accepted, I mean, I knew he was going to die eventually. I mean, everybody dies, but I knew, I didn't know, I didn't know how it was going to look. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Like, I just... I didn't talk about it a lot. I really never really talked about my dad to a lot of people. Um, I never really cried about it to anybody. Um, mm. During the process. I mean, it was a long, process. Was a long yeah. time. It was a very long time. I don't really, I really didn't. It was one of those things. I'm really close with Ian Edwards. Um, and Ian's the kind of person, like if I ever called him about like anything going on in my life, he would make a joke about it. He would like tease me about it. But if I called him crying about my dad, like that was the one thing where he wouldn't like make a joke, nothing. He would just sit there and like, just let me cry and just listen. And I could talk to people like you. Mm -hmm. I could talk to people who had been through having a sick parent. Um, but I could never talk to just a normal person, even somebody who had like a dead parent. People would be like, oh, my dad, my parent had passed away. And it's like, it's not even close to being the same. It's like, I, I felt very alone. Mm. I felt like, not like no one understood what I was going through because I knew there were people who did understand, but I just felt like I didn't even have the capacity to 
bring anyone into my life. No, no one really, I never dated anyone to the point where they saw my dad when he was sick. Wow. I had no serious relationship. I had one. I take that back. I had one. And it was, wasn't even when my dad was that bad. He had already had his brain surgery. So he was like, okay. And that guy met my dad. But like, as it really got worse, like I never had friends over to the house when he was still living at home. Like no one really saw him. I didn't really like let anyone into that world. Like it was too sacred for me. Um, it was Do you too think sacred that for you were trying to protect yourself or that you, was it a, was it a way to make it less real or keep it as real as you could for yourself? I didn't want to put anyone in a position where they had to feel something that they didn't want to feel. I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. Like they didn't know what to say because it's a hard thing. You don't know what to say necessarily. Like I know what to say. I know how to treat a person who's, I never, ever treated my dad different. I never treated him like an invalid. Not once. Never. Did I make fun of him the entire time? Absolutely. Every single fucking thing. When he would, every single time he would start drooling, I'd be like, ah, oh, you sprung a leak. You spr-. <laughs> I'd call him, I called him old faithful. And then sometimes he would start drooling to the point where I like was like trying to clean it up. I was like, you just keep drooling as I'm cleaning. And I would just shove a ball of Kleenex in his mouth. I was like, you need a gag dad. And like, I knew that I could treat him like that. And I didn't want anyone else to treat him any other way nurses treat you like a person nurses don't treat you like an invalid no they don't and and that's why i was always just comfortable being at his nursing home with the other nurses with anyone else like it was just always more comfortable for me to be around people who knew how to be around someone who was sick yeah that's a, other, it's a good point it's just it's like it was too much for me to watch someone like fumble and like not know what to do well, there's a shorthand um, with shared trauma and mm-hmm. an understanding of communication and how unsaid things can go further than the wrong said things or inappropriately said things, not yeah. meant in any ill will, just because of lack of experience. Yeah. yeah. For me, and with, that's why, like, I if if it I would have brought you in to meet my dad in a heartbeat, I would have yeah. like, well, she'll know exactly what to do. Right. I feel the same way. Um, with the nursing home scenario, my dad was in a memory care facility. Uh, I learned so much. I just being in that environment for the first time, you know, I really just watching it as an observer, as a comedian for one, you know, aspect, it was a totally new world. But as a daughter of somebody who was there, it was such a unique experience for me. You know, I learned just how much our elderly are tossed aside, yep. even from their own family. I learned the lack of available improved technologies for these facilities and how it's a real short sight in our society. So many things. My question is having your dad in the facility, what were some revelations you had and, you know, maybe experiences or relationships with the nurses there? Like what, what were things that you learned from that environment for you? Um, first of all, there are good nurses and bad nurses. Let's just get that out of the way. We I'm have to say that. Pretend like I'm not going to sit here and pretend like every fucking nurse is a goddamn fucking angel. No, we can't say I that. It's just not realistic. Be, I watched nurses be very impatient with elderly people. Majority of them, very kind, very caring, very much, you know, uh, 
took, I don't know if nurses take the Hippocratic Oath, but I know doctors do, so I can assume nurses do as well. Very true to the Hippocratic Oath. Um, uh, We do discard our elderly because I can't tell you how many times a nurse said to me, for a daughter who doesn't even live in the same state as her father, they're like, you are here more than daughters who live right down the street. And I'm like, how can people do that? And I get it. People have lives. People have everything. But it's like, it it takes a village to raise someone and then it takes another village (laughs) to let that person go gracefully. And that village is nurses. It's nursing homes. It's the activities they have for elderly people. It's you know, the people who come in there, they get in inter- you, they get entertainment in the nursing home. It's amazing what they do. I remember there was one day um, they had this person come in who was helping everybody, like, put together stories where they could talk about their life. And I was like, this is the fucking best day ever. I was like, I can't believe I got to come in on this day. And everybody got to share, like, the, somebody was writing it all down. And somebody got to, uh, every person got to, like, share a story from their life. And there was one guy who was like sharing stories of like, you know, uh, um, uh, he was he knew Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, who knows if he actually knew Jimmy Hoffa? Who cares? Like, it's a was, great story. He was sharing like Jimmy Hoffa stories, and he was just, you know, uh, you know, the idea of respect your elders. People don't have respect for elders anymore. They just especially don't. in this in this culture in this society. I think in a a culture where your weight and worth is determined by your social presence. There are kids who are 14 years old who have too much power and too much influence to care about whatever an elder person has to offer them. It's fucked up. It is. It is so fucked up that like kids will never realize until it's too late what they could learn from an older person. And it's everything it's experience, you know, it's, what they've been through. It's those, uh, those sort of hindsight based nuggets of wisdom that are only earned from living a life. Mm -hmm. Were you able to have conversations like that one-on-one with your dad? That's the one thing I sort of really, um, uh, it's just all those things you don't know about them. Yeah. The things you'll never know about them, the questions you wish you could ask them. I think about that so often for people and I look at them and, you know, having this conversation about how we just discard our elders. Well, those are your moms. Those are your dads. Like there's so many things that I'll never know about my dad because everyone's fucking dead <laughs> in his life. You know, for you, were you able to be conscious of that and at least take advantage of knowing that the grief train was headed to one destination and ask him things and, you know, maybe have him tell you things that you always wanted to know. Yeah. I feel like you and I might've been the same way as kids. I was the why kid. Why, 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 why? I had to know everything. I was a fucking nosy little shitty kid (laughs) who had to fucking, I eavesdropped on every person I possibly could. My first job, (laughs) First job out of college, my boss was like, you, he's like, you just can't help yourself. He's like, you will literally <laughs> stand by anyone's door and listen to what's going on in there. I can see he's, you doing that. 
every single, I got to know everything. And not even like I'm going to use the information to like, as, as like a way to like get up on a system or something. I just need to know everything. I just want to know everything. Um, my dad was never a talker. He was never mm -hmm. a sharer of information. There were little things he told me along the way. Um, uh, but he was always pretty like quiet, pretty stoic. Um, but the best story, the truly the best story I got from my, about my dad was from his brother. And like, mm -hmm. now I don't really talk to his brother anymore. And it's like, I'm like, God damn it. Like, uh, I, I, I want to, what maybe like a month ago, one of my dad's, this guy my dad worked with named Gene, who lived in Pittsburgh. So my dad was in the trucking business. He repaired trucks. Pretty much he was like a, he owned a company that repaired trucks right on the border of um, Canada um, and Detroit. And so he was it, in the mafia moving so he was cocaine. Mafia. Good to know. Uh -huh. <laughs> um and so I kind of like, I always was like, I don't know what my dad does. People would be like, what does your dad do? I'm like, he's a trucker. I don't know. It was like, I never, my dad was never like totally clear on what he did. He took me to work once on a weekend. He had to go pick something up. And he's, he was in a very bad part of like Detroit. And there was a sign that said no lot lizards. And I was like, probably 12, 11 or 12. And I was like, what's a lot? And it was a lizard with lipstick. <laughs> yes. And it was like, mm. and I was like, dad, what's a lot? You have lizards? Like, what's a lot lizard? What are those lizards? Can like? we get some? <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and of course, I loved all animals. So I was like, it must yeah. be a really cute animal. Look at this thing. She got lips. So um, cute. And then my dad explained to me that they were hookers. And that was the one nice thing about both of my parents is they would never like candy coat anything. They, if, if I asked a question, I got the answer. If, yeah, I was, important. if I was old enough to conceive of a question and, and my brain was already going in that direction, they'd give me an answer. Um, and, and my dad was like, well, a lot lizards, a hooker. Um, and while we were there, we drive past a car and a woman pops her head out of the car, spits her, spits out the door and goes back inside. And my dad goes, no, that's a lot lizard. He didn't explain to me what had just happened, but was like, that's a lot lizard. <laughs> And then years later, I was able to figure out why she popped her head in and out of the car. God, she was spitting cum. Uh huh. She had a hot load. Ugh. Um, but my dad, my dad was more of like a, you know, like if we were doing something and it like reminded him of something when he was a kid. If I tried asking my dad about something when he was a kid, he'd be like, I don't fucking know. He wasn't like one of the, like my dad knew I was like the, I'm like the family historian. I want to know about, I know every single thing about my mom's half of the family. I know the entire emigration process of escaping from Russia during the Cossacks, from the Cossacks during the pogroms of the, you know, the late 1800s. I know about all of that. I know where they went from, from where to where to where to where and how I ended up here today. Dad's half of the family. My, you know, he'd be like, well, they were Polish and they left after World War One, and then they made it. My dad was a cowboy. I was like, what the fuck's a cowboy? I always knew my grandpa was a cowboy. I don't know what the fuck a cowboy did. Was he like, like, a a, like on a horse? On a like horse? a real I don't cowboy? Know. To this day, I don't fucking know. Everybody was always like, Grandpa Joe is a cowboy. <laughs> I fuck, no one fucking knew a thing. I knew my dad had a pet tortoise. He's like, I love that tortoise. And then somebody stole it. Um, and it was always like, my dad was very sad when his tortoise got stolen. You um, sure it wasn't a lot lizard that got stolen yeah. from him? 
<laughs> that was the first case of sex trafficking. Um, <laughs> right from my dad's backyard. Um, yeah, I, you know, my dad wasn't like a fucking storyteller. Much of a talker. This, this dude, Gene, he he called me and he was like, he was like, he's like, your dad was the best. He was like, never was there more, never could there have ever been a more honest guy than your dad. He's like, you know, your dad was so honest, he actually made himself go bankrupt. He's like, your dad was a terrible businessman. He's like, he couldn't fucking lie to anybody for anything. <laughs> my dad just, and that's true. My dad went out of business, made himself, he went bankrupt, just had, had no idea how to say, just tell a slight lie. If a trucker came in and was like, my car is doing this, my dad would be like, he'd be the guy who'd be like, have you tried turning it on and off? And like, that would do it. Most people in business would be like, oh, you need X, Y, Z. You should get all these different things done. My dad would be like, I'm going to get you out of door, out of the door for the least amount possible. <laughs> um, and that, that was my dad, just not a good businessman, honest to a fault. But the guy Gene was like, he's like, and that is the reason why he's like my whole truck fleet. He's like, I had every trucker that went through Detroit go to your dad. No, he's like, I would never send them to anyone else other than your dad. And it's like, you know, it's like stories like that, that I'll hear now. You know, and I've, and I, Gene, I, last time I saw Gene Heiler, Gene Heiler's his name. It was like when I was like 12, I don't fucking know. I was so young. Um, but I'm going to New York. He's, he's in, um, uh, Philadelphia and I'm going to New York end of uh, December. And he's like, I'm going to have one of my kids or one of my grandkids drive me to New York so I can come see you do comedy. Cause if I told him that my dad never saw me do comedy and he's like, he's like, well, I'm going to come see you do comedy for your dad. And I was like, Gene, you're super Catholic. <laughs> you're you better buck fucking, up, buddy. You better not judge me for this shit. Hate what I have to say. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing, not to rub it in your face. Um, he, your that, dad saw you do comedy so much. He was the biggest. He was my biggest fan. He uh, he would do this thing just because he was beaming with pride where he, every time we were out, he would ask people, have you seen girl code? Do you know girl code? Or have you watched MTV? Well, this is my daughter. She's on it. She has a show. You should, he was just like promoting oh. for me. Always, oh. always, always, always everywhere we went. He was telling, he was people, your hype man. He was my hype man. And so, so proud of what I did. I think because essentially in somewhere in his mind, it was something he kind of wanted to do. And was able to live vicariously through my, you know, uh, my doing it. Um, I know for me during the whole process, which was much shorter only because we didn't know decades before what was creeping in because mm -hmm. the symptoms of Alzheimer's are just so creepy. And sometimes we write them off as dad being dad or in society, yeah. we've accepted dementia as a normal part of aging, which it's not. And Parkinson's certainly is not a normal part of aging. These are diseases. These are inflammatory diseases of the brain. Um, with my dad during the process from diagnosis to death, it was just a year of official diagnosis, diagnosis and him dying. Um, but you know, we had realized all the, the signs that we missed before, but for me, the survival of it all came in going home as much as I could like you, yourself. And it also came in maintaining the relationship with my father as well treating him the same even though he wasn't there mentally towards the end as much as possible but there was one moment you're talking about lot lizards that i remembered where my dad was getting reclusive because his brain was shutting off more and more and 
he was forgetting who everybody was. So he wasn't feeling so social because he was such a social butterfly naturally. And that was robbed of him in this disease. There was this one day where, you know, we'd go in and the nurse, there were days we'd go in with my sisters and myself and the nurses would just be like, he doesn't want to come out of his room. And we tried to sit with them and he just was so unresponsive to us and it got really hard. And, you know, I was like, well, what can we do to get him out of his room so we can like get some circulation and walk around the facility? So I was like, let's tell him we got a, got him a stripper. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care how much of your memory is destroyed. A man, the brain, the mind dick connection cannot be severed. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's the last connection to go. <laughs> that is literally the last connection. Every synapse can erode every single function of the human body but on a man's last breath that's why he takes his last breath the second that connection is severed a man's like what's the point oh <laughs> and so that we, we were having a consult with the nurses you know because it was sort of getting to the end where we had to like figure out hospice and all of that and they're like well we're trying to get him out of his room and i was like go tell him we have a hooker they're like we can't do that i was like yes you can you, yeah, you can, can and you will. I'm giving you full permission. They're I'm like, no, 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 we'll get fired. And you're like, I don't care. Go tell me. I don't, yeah, that's great. Well, well, let's just, we keep it in the room. Go tell my dad there's a stripper yeah. here. And they're like, well, I don't, I'd advise against it. I'm like, well, let's see. Let's just see. Let's see. If he doesn't, let's try it once. And if it doesn't work, I'll never ask you again. Just do it this one time. And so they and go down. And that's the story of how Jess and I became a stripper. <laughs> For my dad. For my dad. A girl, a daughter's love. Is, is this our lifetime movie? There is. <laughs> stripped, stripped down is the, is the name of the lifetime movie. For, for <laughs> Instead of strip peas, it's strip peas. Yeah. <laughs> strip uppies. <laughs> this motherfucker. So we're sitting there waiting. This motherfucker comes in with his walker with the biggest smile on his oh, face. He ready. He ready he's for like, titties. And he's just looking around. He's like, Where's a stripper? <laughs> we all laughed. You know, I guess the point is, is that uh, for me during the process, humor, humor was everything. Humor was our connection. Everything. It was the way we communicated and we kept it that way through his disease. And like I mentioned before, the grieving process of this sort of disease is so unique for somebody who's listening, people who are going through a similar scenario where they are having to grieve a person while they're alive, do you have any pointers, you know, some NAS pointers that you can give them that can help them survive through this ordeal? Uh, just accept the suck is really like, it sucks. Just accept it. Treat them like a person. Treat them like they're not sick. Give them their dignity as much as you can. Um, uh, they're not mentally incapable, like in the sense of like, they're not dumb. Like they're still there. That person is still there and there. So treat them like that. Even though it might feel weird. Like I remember towards the end, man, my dad was like, just. He, there were days where I'd walk in, I'd be like, dad, and I'd get like no response from him. And that was fucking hard. Cause usually I'd walk in and my dad would be like, even if he wasn't like verbal, he'd be like, mm -hmm. like just pumped that I was there. And it was hard when I walked in and got no response from him. That was, a, that was a hard, 
Um, but I was like, all right, this is the moment where you just have to sit there and just physically be present. And that's a really big part of it is just be there, just mm. be there, just, you know, holding a, a, a person's hand, holding space for them. You know, it's like, talk to people who've been through it. Talk to people. Don't isolate. You know, like if I, I talk to so many, I can imagine you do too, but I talk to mm -hmm. so many people on Instagram. I have so many Parkinson's friends. Um, <laughs> I have so many Alzheimer's friends and doctors as so well. Many, yeah. I'm, uh -huh. I'm hounding everybody on a weekly basis. Uh-huh. And I, it's crazy. I just like, there's, there's this one woman I met, um, right before COVID and she thought she was farther along in the process than my dad was. So she was like, anything you need to know, you, I'll, you, you, I'll, I'm here for you. And then I was like, same, you know, my dad and she got the surgery. She's like, oh, she's like, I'll, I'll totally tell you about it. I was like, no, 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 I'll tell you about it. I'm the veteran here. And this was a young, young, young girl. She was like in her thirties. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, and just had the brain surgery that my dad had. And it's like, I was supposed to go to New York the first week of lockdown and then it got canceled and I was going to meet her. We had just become Parkinson's friends. Um, and it was really like lean into the community that's online that if there is one good thing about social media mm -hmm. and I fucking hate social media, <laughs> it is the downfall of humanity. If there is one good thing about it, it is finding community for for whatever your thing is and do that do that do that do that don't isolate talk to these people it could be the smallest you know most meaningless question you could think you have just fucking ask it just talk to somebody like that's really all there is to it embrace the sock find other people who are going through the sock and then just you know Life isn't short. Life is long. <laughs> it really is. Especially when you go through shit like that. You're like, yeah. bring on the short part, fucker. Yeah, please. For the love of God. For the love there was of a God. Point where my dad was like, go. My dad, I was cleaning off. I was cleaning pee off the floor. of my, my dad's pee off the floor. And I was just like, this can't be how it goes. My dad can't. My dad can't be okay. My dad, by the way. Wait, did your dad ever have to have a condom catheter? <laughs> the pee hat? <laughs> the dick hat? Oh my god, my dad's my dad's dick was so small it did not stay in the catheter. <laughs> just, just kept popping off. Oh god. And then all of a sudden you'd see the sheet that they keep putting my dad, I told said it told you, told you in my set that anyways, my dad wanted to be naked all the time. And they'd put a sheet on him and he'd just fucking take the sheet off. But they put the sheet on him and then all of a sudden you'd see little like pee strip go. And I was like, oh, the catheter's off. <laughs> just peed that puppy right off. <laughs> His little dick wouldn't stay inside the catheter. <laughs> I truly believe, I truly believe. I, I, I got off stage the other night and a girl came up to me and she was like, she was like, I, I had no idea that what I went through with my parent was universal. That's that. And that's the point that is for me, uh, like watching you 
talk about your dad's dick, I was like, oh, God, thank God. You know, I know you've been through stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, I just was so happy that someone else was taking a creative step in a in a courageous step to discuss something that people are a going to be shocked by but not shocked mm -hmm. in a salacious sense just shocked in a uh reality sense that this is something that you had to go through and then mm -hmm. b people who have been through it are going to feel less shocked and feel like they have a community and that to me that's that's all that's my focus that's all mm -hmm. i'm focused on now is just mm -hmm. allowing people to know you might have to look at your dad's dick you might yeah, have yeah. to wash your mom in her private parts and yeah, yeah. it's gonna be fucking horrible there's no way to sugarcoat washing your dad's dick and like hearing you talk about experiencing your own dad's dick it honestly <laughs> it, I, I i was like i just let out like a sigh like there was some healing in that even just as i a mean peer don't don't get me wrong. I will not forget your flex when you said your dad had a bigger, big dick. So I'm sorry. Um, I had to let you know that. Had I yeah, just yeah, I felt like it posthumously. Italians, Italians, you know, <laughs> um, what can you do? He's got a fucking, uh, how do you say, uh, how do you say, uh, eggplant in, uh, Italian? He had a big eggplant. Uh, Mul uh, Mul Mul he had a big, he had a big, he had a big yeah, eggplant. Big yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. You, if, if, if you don't laugh, I, I, I've, it's it's as you know the dead dad jokes or it's a hard sell so it i started doing this thing where sell. i'm like listen you guys what we're about to get into might be a little weird but you got two options you got two options you can be sad about it or you can laugh about it i mean why not laugh about it like i'm not and i i hate it when people are like you can see people judging you for talking about your dad's dick yeah i just want to be like I'm the one who helped my dad. I'm the one who was in the shower. Like, do are you? Did you help your parent when they were sick? Right. By the way, when you have, when done? the day you have to help them, you're gonna yeah. think about this. Yeah, you're gonna think about this. The, the other day, a woman goes, "I go, I go. Did you take care of your dad when he was sick?" She's like, "No." And I was like, "Oh, what? You were rich enough that you just had nurses full time and you didn't have to lift a fucking finger?" Okay, cool. Well, you know what? We're not all. We all didn't have the luxury of having full time care for our parents. You know. And it's the most expensive. These types of diseases Holy are the most expensive. We're talking upwards of 40 grand a month. Mm -hmm. Yep. Of, of just minimum basic care. Bare minimum. You will not find anywhere. And I, and I know because we looked everywhere. You will never find anything cheaper than $6,000 a month for any sort of extended care for a parent. Right. No, there is nothing cheaper than $6,000. There's and nothing cheaper. if you don't cheaper. have it, you're taking care of them at home while and, you're also trying to live your life uh -huh. and that ain't cheap <laughs> it's not cheap and by the also, way the better the best life you can give them by the way isn't keeping them at home no the best life you there are nursing homes there are really good nursing homes that have things for them to do that they you will never be able to give them that much access and have a life that's the, one of the only ways and the unfortunate truth is that people feel a shame and guilt about not being able to take care of their loved ones. And there is this, uh, you know, economic discrepancy where if you are rich, they're going to get better care. That's just the reality of this yeah. scenario. And to not feel guilty about that, to not feel guilty, you know, even if you are somebody who has to stay home and, and, and do that, which is just such a different, I think it might be 
when I think about things I've experienced in life, the most difficult thing to do is to care for someone like that in that capacity. It, it's so the the emotional weight goes both ways for the person being cared mm-hmm. for and the people caring for them. And also puts a lot of strain on the family. So, so many so arguments, much, so many arguments, so many, so many arguments, so many resentments. Like, oh. That was a rough period for my brother and I, when, when everything was happening with my dad, as is when the, when his sickness started to like escalate, like my brother works at Apple. He's like, you know, very successful. So it was always on me to like, Nicole can put down her non-job. Like nobody saw what I did as a, a being a comedian. It's not a real job. Yeah. So it was like, it was on me to come home all the time. It was on me to come home for months at a time. So it was I like, yeah, I was in the thing. luxury. And then my mom would give me shit being like, you know, you need to get a real job. I'm like, you want me to get a real job? Do you want me to get a real job? Because if I have a real job, I'll lose it if I come home as much as I do. I will get fired from whatever it is I do. So yeah, was I a a vendor at Costco going, I, I took a job working at Costco as a vendor so I could go work at the Costco's in Michigan. I did not know that. Yeah. This what job allowed this? me to go to Michigan. I did this for 2000, uh, I think 2015 to 2018. Holy fuck. I had no idea. Uh-huh. I was a vendor. I was, I literally, I was a skincare, I worked for a skincare company and I would they would fly me home. They would fly me to Michigan um, uh, minimum four times a year. And I would go and work at the Costco in Michigan, the different Costco's in Michigan selling cream. So I could go home for free. I could stay at home and then I could spend time with my family. That, and, and, the, I, and I specifically took that job because I knew it would be, allow me to work at the Costco's here in LA and California, but it would allow me to go home and work at the Costco's there. It is interesting when you go through these scenarios where everyone's stress is so heightened and you never know how people are going to react and, you know, family members each grieve differently. It brings up so many issues within the family structure. And it's important. I think that's important because that's where it gets real. That's where you realize where your all of your individual ceilings and bases are and how to sort of respect one another on a different level because we're all go- we're all coming together, but we're also having these individual experiences that Mm -hmm. we can't, it doesn't make any sense to go, well, I'm doing it this way. Why can't you do it this way? And I Mm -hmm. remember a specific instance when I had come home and this was early on before we were able to put him anywhere. And, you know, my sisters, you know, I was doing the same thing. I was flying home as much as I could in between doing road work and doing stand up and, and trying to make sure I'm able to survive and pay for my life and come home as much as I could. I was home just every other month for the most part, maybe even more during that that year. And I remember during the holidays of that first year, it was pandemonium for them. You know, my sisters, because we hadn't we didn't have a full diagnosis. People were doing shifts taking care of him. We had an in-home nurse. We just were plugging holes. My sisters were just there plugging the holes of the sinking ship, which we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And um I had come home, it was like Thanksgiving and he's up and having this restlessness that sort of happens sometimes with the disease where the brain is firing and shutting and firing and shutting and and he has no real leverage of of reality. So he wants to sit and then he wants to stand up. And, And so there's this restlessness that has to be managed on Thanksgiving. You know, it's festive and there's food being cooked and here's my dad 
having to go to the bathroom, not having to go to the bathroom, pooping his pants. And then I need to go, you know, all this. And I just remember walking in, I had just gotten there and this is going on and I'm new to everything that's happening. It's kind of because I'm coming back and going home and not, I, I fly home and then I go back to LA and I come back and he's a totally different person. Each yeah. time I come back, the timeline keeps getting him, farther down. Yeah. Oh my God. A chunk of him is gone. And I'm like, well, I, I have a learning curve here. And so I come home, my dad's having this panic attack and my sister's there and one of my sisters and she goes, well, you're home. You can deal with it now. And I just remember being like, oh, I know this is your process. I know this is how you're dealing with it. But to communicate with me like that really makes me want to dig a grave and shove you the fuck in it alive and bury you underneath piss soaked sand. Yeah. That's how I felt in that instance. Dad's dad's piss soaked sand, by the yeah, way. Yeah, have dad pee on top of I'm gonna of take your dad's grave. urinal and then I'm gonna use that pee. But it's just such a, you know, I think the point is for anybody listening to know that everyone's experience of it is so individualized that I I was mad at her and I we definitely had a moment, but I also understood that yeah. she was having she was at her the own... end of her, she was at the end of her rope. She, she was, was at the end of her mode. rope for that day. Yeah. And, and it's a day-to-day thing. It is a yep. day-to-day. Your frustration with it is going to ebb and flow. There are going to be some days where you're just like fully accepting of it. And then there's other days where you're going to be like someone saying excuse me when they come in the room will set you off to the point where you want to fucking just scour their body with sanitary hand i don't know what i'm saying yes, but like no, yeah, all of that murder them <laughs> yeah yeah and then in the same breath there's those days where you're so beaten down where someone goes how are you today and you're just like <laughs> yeah you just cry just cry you're just bawling <laughs> you will you will everything is you feel bipolar kind of yes. in that like oh my your, God. your emotions don't feel like your own you don't know where they're coming from it could be like joy it could be you you it's an emotional roller coaster it really is there is nothing death is fucking gross it's just there's <laughs> absolutely death is we all gross. fucking die by the way we all fucking die and like by the way this whole experience there is nothing that has prepared me more for the thought that i want to die on my own accord like i want to kill myself i will not let death come to me i will go to it and i think you have that right you know i think every individual has that right it's an interesting thing your relationship with death really evolves as you face it with ones you love so much and your whole ideology about the end really evolves and um I think, you know, having the perspective of grieving somebody when they're alive really has made me endeared to the fragility of of life itself and Mm -hmm. in everyone's individual experiences and me not taking anything personal. You know, Um, it also it, it makes me open to people like you where, yeah, we know each other. We're in the same industry and we're rolling around and, you know, we'll say hi and all that shit. But there's a deeper level to it. Like I revere you in, in such a different way than other comedians because of your journey, because of what you've been through. Like, I feel like you and I are in this community together mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I just, I, like, I appreciate you because you've reached out to me during 
when my dad was sick and, and all of that. So I just wanted to like say how much I appreciate you and, and honestly appreciate you being open to being open talking about your dad. Cause I know you said this isn't something that you, during the process that you were talking a, a lot yeah. about, even though now you've, you know, you're putting it into your art, which I think is, important. I won't even, I won't even talk about it. Like as, a, as far as a conversation goes, I will not talk about it with anybody who hasn't really been through it or is about to go through it kind of thing. Like there's, there are comedians, I won't say who, because I don't know if they want to go public with their journey with their parents sickness, but like, they've come to me and I'll talk to them. But like, I don't want to talk about my everything with my dad with that many people. Like, I just, it's just not worth it to me. And like, I, I, for, I've always just thought, I just love that you were just a brass balls, like, don't give a fuck kind of person. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I loved I was so sad to see you go through what you went through, but the grace you had going through it and the way you honored your dad and the love you showed for him every step of the way made me love you so much. And like, you're a, you're, you're a good fucking woman and your dog is so cute. <laughs> My dog heard you crying and they thought like, there was some words being said. They were like, hold on, let me come to the rescue. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate I like, that. Just be crying. <laughs> that was, you know, um, like I said before, I didn't know what to do. I did the only thing I, I thought I could was, which was just to document and share it and hope that other people going through it weren't feeling as alone yeah. as I was. And, you know, utilizing what little skills that I had in this world for, the common good of, of people, you know? Um, well, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you sharing what, where can my listeners find you, listen to you, stalk you? You have any shows coming um, up? Podcasts? I, um, when is this coming out? This will be out next week. Okay. Well, I'll be all next week. I'm doing the comedy seller in Vegas. So if anybody is in Vegas, baby, I'm there. There's two shows a night. I'm there from the 25th to the 31st. So that'll be fun. Um, and then I'm featuring for Nate Craig at the Creek in the Cave uh, the first weekend in November um, in Austin, Texas. Um, I'll be in, De in December. I'll be in New York City. Uh, after Christmas that week, I'll be I'm doing um, Caroline's with the tell. Oh, that's going to be so awesome. Be I'm trying to think of like fun, big ticket items. Oh, I'm doing Cobbs with uh, in San Francisco, uh, with Jessica Michelle, we're co-headlining, um, December 1st, I think it is, um, just look on their calendar. It's somewhere around there. Uh, and then, yeah, those are kind of like, and then I'm at the comedy store all the time. Um, and yeah, and that's pretty much it. Um, I have a podcast called two filthy nerds with Jessica Michelle Singleton. We're currently doing the Marvel universe. We just got done doing Harry Potter and Indiana Jones. Um, and Fucking then, nerd. Fucking nerds. And then, yeah, that's it. On the social media, at Nicole Amy. Um, Twitter. Um, I like jokes. Love, <laughs> uh, I like uh, just, you know, just trying to be silly and have a good time. So, Well, I love you so much. Thank you. I love you so much. Guys, I'll put links to find her in the show notes. And I appreciate you. I love you. I love you so, so much. Now, how do I do? I just hang up and leave and that's it? Well, yeah, but just make sure you grab my head on the way out. Oh.
I bet you're so sad. You, you can't I mean, grab guys, it. guys, really, truly, I cannot emphasize enough. Don't fucking touch her when you see her if you ever meet Jess and I. Like, that's it's not your position. It is my position to hold her head. It is precious. It is round. It is a perfectly shaped head. I love um, to be cradled by you. I can't wait to be cradled by you soon. I'm sure oh, I'll see you somewhere. Oh, God, oh, I want to fucking and I'll fall into your bosom. You. And you're so tiny. I just want to like just consume you. I want to shove you in my your perfectly shaped head into my pussy. I want to crush your skull the way it should have been crushed when it came out of your mom. Like were wow, you, were you cesarean? Really were you this... cesarean? I was. That's why your head's perfectly shaped. <laughs> you don't have a forceps head. You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy is I was born with an egghead, even though I wasn't passed through the birth canal. And then how did it shape normal again? They just kind of rolled me around like a piece of dough on the ground <laughs> until it evened out. Like a real Italian. They're like just like a little fucking yeah. little uh-huh. pizza dough. <laughs> like a little like a little like a pizza dough. Like a little uh like a garlic knot. Just a little, little meet the ball, huh? A little meet the ball. I love you, a little meet the ball. I love you, bitch. I love you, bitch. Bye. Bye. We're going to ask some questions here from fans. Um, and obviously, like you said, there there a lot of them are foot-based. Um, Frank Tyler N9876, will you do some Lind of Love Her Feet podcast again? What does that mean? No, no more. Um, love Her Feet. It's oh. I, I used to have my foot fetish podcast. No, I won't do it. It's done. It's over. Oh, done. That phase, that phase of my life is gone. I think it's good to just tap in and tap out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is. Um, it was. I tapped in, and uh, when I saw the way, um, I saw firsthand how porn stars are treated by their fans, and uh, they think they're these honorable, like nice guys. They're like, we worship them. Sure, if that's what you want to call it, worshiping. Sure, yeah. I've 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 seen enough. I've seen I've seen a lifetime of enough yeah, and I haven't good. even seen that much. I'm like, I'm good. Like, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm so entirely disgusted by. Uh, by, yeah, like by how sure. women were treated. And that was just the surface. You know, you're like that looking was just at the it. Surface. From, yeah. 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 I can't it's even a dark imagine hole. How, how, how dark it gets. And, uh, you know, Sex workers are humans. They are. They are people and, and it's one of the oldest who are careers. To their own space, their own lives, their own bodies. You do not own them. They owe you absolutely nothing. They owe you nothing. And to all of those fans who, you know, you subscribe to their only fans and that you have this level of entitlement to them now because you go fuck yourself. Fucking simp bitches. Um, there's some good ones. There's some good people in there, but for the most part, I'm like totally disgusted by it. I will never go back to working in that world again. Well, it's good to have the perspective and know like what the fuck they were going through. Mm-hmm. Um, M Faca Music. Who complains more, Bobby Lee or Eric Griffin? <laughs> um, Bobby Lee probably. I feel like Bobby. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I feel like Eric's probably now that he's engaged to a Jewish woman, he might pick up some bad habits. Um, I think he's complained less now that he's gotten engaged. I think he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah because she's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, she's, she's got a like, beautiful fiance. And I was yeah, like, oh, she, okay, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got that. She got a big ring on. She's literally doing the heavy lifting. She's literally. like, I can't. I don't know how to get around. <laughs> um. Yeah. So Bobby Lee. Bobby's a fun complainer, though. He makes. He is. If you're gonna complain, you can be a complaining person. But if you're not fun, we all hate you. Yeah. I mean, it, Bobby. He he likes to antagonize. Mm-hmm. He enjoys antagonizing people, and he enjoys. He's he's a rabble rouser. Mm-hmm. He's great. You know, that's why he's, he's always old, taking he's his pants off. Yeah. Oy, oh, oh. I know. I've seen I've seen his butt so many times. Smooth yeah. skin, very smooth. So smooth. Skin. He's he really is. He really is like a like a porpoise. He's just the smoothest. He's like a baby. He's like a man baby. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a maybe. He's a maybe. He's a maybe. Gregster B eighty six. What fetishes do you like men to have? That's an interesting me. I want to be their fetish. <laughs> yep. Sign sealed yeah. delivered. That's it. That's all. That if you have a fetish, it's me. Yeah, be obsessed with me. Why be is that so me. much to ask? I don't want you to reduce me to my feet. I don't want you to reduce me to my ass. I want you to reduce me to me. I am it. Yeah, the full the full I want I want package. every every fucking centimeter of me to be your fucking fetish. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a beautiful thing to want as a woman. Because you know every piece of you is worthy of being fetish fetishized. fetishized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetishized. Like, I want you, I want you sure. to, I want, like, when you're jerking off, I want you to be like, oh my God, there's this piece of her ear that I love. And then everything. I want every part of me to be something that you're just like, you, you can't get enough of. You hear that, you Greg? Go. Uh, Slucy Grant, without even looking, I know it's going to have to do with poop. I didn't look at every single question. She loves sending me videos of women crapping their pants, and I don't know why. I, it's a woman I, who's doing this oh she loves it yep she just loves she sends me videos of women filling their pants here we go have you ever loaded your pants as an adult see yeah how many times i mean i don't even i don't even know how many times i have like it's been so many times i'm have I you have really IBS. shit your pants often oh i have ibs i've shit my pants a fucking million times <laughs> i shit my pants in public a month ago yeah <gasps> i shit my pants in my car i've shit my pants in my car twice in my life you shit your pants a month ago? Mm-hmm. Where were you? Um, I was I was home. I mean, I was I was in my apartment. Oh, that's good. Well, why didn't you get I, your toilet? Get to your toilet? Were you just kind of? Like, I mean, it was here. a gamble. It was more of a gamble and a lose kind of situation. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that it, that's I got to be honest. Most of the times I've shit in my pants. There was one time I went on a hike and I just couldn't get back fast enough. <laughs> I was just I was took a bear and scat. I put the key in the front door and all of a sudden it was like. <laughs> And I was like, damn it, I was so close. And I was wearing and I was wearing thong underwear, which are always the worst thing when it comes to shitting your pants, because the poop will find the path of least resistance, which is out the <laughs> sides. And it's just you fit, even though your pants are like holding everything in, you can feel it just go and then your butt cheeks get wet. Take that, Slucy. You like that? You like that fill up? It doesn't fill up when there's a fucking thong split in the river no it's like a knife it's just a knife slicing the loaf uh-huh oh uh-huh. uh, nice love all knife of me. slicing the loaf <laughs> poetic uh flux biota i'm oh, i don't flux, know if i'm pronouncing this she's okay, actually cool. this artwork she did this one this one and that one oh they're she's fun she looks like she does artist. drugs she's she, uh, she's fucking awesome but flux yeah. does uh, if anybody wants any fucking super cool artwork, I have so much of her stuff around my house. I was actually admiring that. I don't know. Is it Eeyore over your shoulder? I was like, Who's oh, that, that is little? the, that's the squatty potty. That's, it's awesome. a squatty potty national pie day. My roommate is an asshole and that's buddy. <laughs> um, that's she asks, me. 
Um, what is your favorite? What is her favorite toe? I feel like this is insider info. Yeah, it's insider info. Um, um, I, I, my second toe, my toe next to my big toe is longer. I have the longer second toe. And I, I think that's like a sign of intelligence. So of course I'm just holding on to that by dear, by with, with dear life. A hundred percent. I have the same thing and it's, we're, mm-hmm. gen- it's a sign mm-hmm. of genius. genius. It's actually mm-hmm. a genius. It's a sign of genius. Cool. Um, so that. That's. I just watched my dog take an avocado off of my table. Um, oh, good. Okay. I don't uh, know. At, I don't know at what point I should tell you, but dogs can't eat avocados. Oh, this motherfucker peels it and eats it like he's a fucking chef. Oh. Yeah. Is he, he single? <laughs> I've always he wanted, I want to date a chef. I want to date a guy who's good in the kitchen. He's a he's he's a rescue. So I don't know how he's you like, feel about it. Spoons it out. Yeah. All that's left is a full skin avocado in the pit, and the meat is gone. Every time this motherfucker loves avocados. Um, Tokyo Boys Club. Will you have Jesse Mays a guest on the Love Her Feet podcast? Well, as you heard in the beginning of this, that's There's no, no longer. Yeah, that's so no, no longer. I won't have her. No, she's and not. If you guys want to see pictures of her feet, you can politely ask her for them and then pay her a fucking lot of. Money. Oh yeah, everyone's asked me, and I'm like, sure, for monies. I need monies. Yeah. The monies, all the monies. Lots I need all monies. the monies. Don't settle I, for less than a thousand. Oh, I remember one time a guy, I, I, I emphasized a million times. I'm not a foot fetish person. I'm not a foot fetish person. And everyone's like, how much can I pay you for a picture? I'm like a thousand. And they're like, what? The people in porn don't even ask for that much. And I'm like, well, I'm not a person in porn. Right. That's the, my the price. Premium. Do you want the it or not? Price. I'm not we, you, don't argue with me. I'm not asking this you to buy a the photo. This is swap meet, bro. Okay. Yeah. That's the fucking price. You pay yay or nay. Otherwise, be on your fucking simpy little way, you bitch. Yeah, how bad do you want to see these feet? You have to pay the premium. Yeah. I have a theory about people who like feet. I think guys who like feet secretly are kind of gay because all the toes look like little peenies. It's a good one. They look like little teeny penises. I will will agree with you on that. The little dick toes. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, they don't want to commit to the full dick, so they chop it up into little pieces of it. Uh And then they don't want to commit to it. Ten little dicks equal a whole dick. At all, yeah, and little dicks. <laughs> all of a sudden, I want some. I want a, a hot ham. Listening to you oh, sing that, dude. I am. I love honey baked ham, where it has that crust on the outside. Oh, oh, I love it so much. You know, the only time I like ham is during the holidays. I really, any other time, I'm like, this is disgusting. But when it's associated with like nostalgia, I'm like, this is mm-hmm. delicious. Yeah. This reminds me of like when my mom had a family and then my dad had another family and there were four houses i had to go to on the holidays oh, and i really miss it <laughs> by the way anybody who's like it's so hard having divorced parents i was like you have more than one place to eat it's amazing you it's we a buffet so on many wheels. gifts Drive yeah around, there's so many there. meals so many yeah. people arguing and chaos it was great oh, it was the hey, best amazing amazing well you and i could talk for hours uh i appreciate you hopping back on to do some q a's and i'm going to toss this on the patreon this is just going to be extra credit for my patreon fans yeah so yeah, yeah. Fuck you guys want to hear the money, full especially episode. those foot fetish fuckers yeah you fffs you listen foot to the full episode fuckers go get on, it on uh, apple and you'll know where to find her on the, the notes of the apple episode so i love you i love you bang bang seeking the truth never gets old 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.